A draw is better than a loss. I am the champ. Oh my gosh. No, no, no. <laughs> no I, <didn't. laughs> I, I believe that is the quadruple. Aaron Rodgers is phenomenal. Come on, Jared Goff. Come on. Any trade that involves you getting Drew Locke, you probably lost. Well, I guess everyone knew more than I did. The amount of times that you have been on stage with less than reputable clothing. Yes, indeed. We have no shit. Enough said on that. I can neither confirm or deny. Shout out to um, Raccoon Red. Clearly, I have a lot of opinions about this. Hello and welcome to another episode of Improper Fantasy Football. My name is Mark. And I am Biz. How are you doing? Good day yesterday. Uh, it was a good day. You know what? After the, the games were over, I, I fumed a little bit at the results, and then I sat, and then I looked back at the games, and I realized, you know what? For what they were, they were actually pretty good games. The stories involved in those games were actually pretty good. Uh, yeah. But we'll get we'll get more into that. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I I mean, it was great. It was interesting for me how the games were flipped. We're obviously going to talk about them. In the, the Obviously, the better game by far was Lions 49ers in terms of a more exciting game. And I, I thought, you know, I think a lot of people thought Ravens Chiefs was going to be an absolute shootout with two of the, two of the best quarterbacks in the league going at it. Um, and it was interesting to me how the kind of script was flipped. Um, but yeah, I actually went to um, a local pub, um, World of Beer, which is kind of a small chain in the area. Love um, World a, of Beer. Yeah, with a, with a friend of mine. He's actually my next door neighbor. So yeah, just on a whim, he was like, oh, do you fancy watching Chiefs Ravens? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So, so yeah, it was great. It was great to go there. It was obviously heavily, um, given the area we are in, it was heavily dominated Ball, by, which, by Baltimore supporters. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it was, I, I mean, it was great. Um, it, it was a really good atmosphere. It wasn't rammed. It was, you know, nicely packed. And, um, yeah, so it was good, good times. Listeners, what did you think of the conference championship games? Let us know our... Twitter handle is Improper Fantasy, and our Gmail account is Improper Fantasy Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, before we get into the games, I do want to give a very quick recap into the pigskin pick'em. How am I we doing have, that? I, I'm actually going to bring that up in a little bit, because I have been thinking about you this whole time with that uh, bit by bit by bit. Um, so in pigskin pick'em, uh, it has come down to two. Friend of the podcast, he hasn't come on yet but he has listened in uh this is my uh buddy andrew uh he is a diehard lions fan uh he is still currently reeling from the loss yesterday but uh he currently has the most amount of correct picks going forward however he does not have the possibility of getting any more points since he does not have any of the final two teams uh all the way he had the lions going all the way and the right as, as one does and the ravens yeah, I'm in there sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, actually he may have had the Ravens going the whole way. But regardless, he uh he currently sits in pole position, and there is only one team in our whole bracket challenge that has any of the last two teams remaining. And he is within his shot. And if the 49ers win, he will pass Andrew for the most points. So it is down to Andrew and improper Mark. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? Well, it, he's a homer, so he's obviously going to go with the 49ers. I mean, it works. Uh, you know. Had he's from the Lions area, won, so. we could have said that Andrew won the whole thing off of being a homer. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's true. That's true. So, uh, um, but yeah, I'm I'm not surprised Improper Mark picked the 49ers to go all the way. So, um, yeah, so it's going to be an interesting last, uh, last week. So it's down to Andrew versus Improper Mark to take down this playoff challenge championship that we got going on. However, I do want to add a slight caveat to this. In the first week of the season, when we did our on-podcast picks, Biz got, I believe, four out of six right. And since then, hasn't picked wrong. Every single pick since the wild card, Biz has been correct. The only caveat to that is Biz gets to pick only the matchups that are happening, and everybody else had to pick from week one. So there's a slight little skew in that, but at the same time, it's been incredibly impressive to see you've only picked two wrong picks this whole pot playoffs. So have I won something again then? The the fact that my picks You're you playing know, against yourself. 
So I picked. <laughs> You're playing against me, which is essentially is playing this against no, yourself. Is this another Let's, trophy I can add? I, to I my, don't think so, list. but but I okay, do want to give you an out to talk about like you versus the pigskin bracket. Like I, I can't not throw a little bit of controversy in that. Yeah, I should have. I should have obviously, you know, got got my picks in, but um, yeah, we we did. You know, we did our picks in terms of on on the podcast. We did our picks at the beginning of the season. I picked the Chiefs and the 49ers. Um, yep. There were times during the season where I wasn't, you know, I, I was I was almost switching a little bit um, to the Ravens. But when they both got to the championship game, I was like, I've got no reason to, to change. Nope. I'm going to stick with them. And yeah. You've been yeah, with them the I, whole time. Yeah, it, it's tough, though, because, uh, well, like a lot of people, I wanted the Lions to win. So, um, and I would have been very happy had my NFC pick been wrong because I think it would have been fantastic for the Lions uh, to get in. So, but whilst we are here, why don't we start and get into it with last night's game, Lions 49ers. Um, Lions come out strong, race to a 24-7 lead. And then at the end of the half, uh, the Lions kick the field goal instead of perhaps going for it on fourth down. But we can get into that. And then obviously the second half, we know the story. For me, it all changed on that incredibly lucky, uh, lucky catch. Um, Brandon Ayuk. He was a uh, Brandon Ayuk. Yeah. Off, yeah. Off we have given him a lot of love the second half of the season here. Cause he's just played all world. Yeah, he's, been um, great. He, he's finally been showing off like, the talent he should have had when you took him in the draft a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, finally. It didn't you happen a couple hit... of years ago, but it's finally happening now. Thanks, This is going to take uh, Brandon Ayuk first overall <laughs> in the draft next No, year. that will never happen. That will never... He will be up there, but I will, I will never take him ever again. You know, um, I, I'm scarred by his performances for me a couple of years ago. But yeah, the, the 49ers come out, second half, just a different story. They get things going um, offensively. They, you know, defensively, they get more stops. The Lions didn't score a point in the second half um, until the end, obviously, when it was like garbage time. So, yeah, yeah we're, here we are, 49ers, uh, you know, back in the Super Bowl. It's a, re- a rematch of the Super Bowl a few years ago with Jimmy G at the, at the helm. But, yeah, what were your thoughts? I mean, for me, there's a lot to unpack, but why don't you go ahead? There's a lot to unpack. So why don't we focus on the teams individually? I want to start with the 49ers. They're the teams that won. Uh, we were going back and forth in the chat with Improper Mark um, in that first half, just l- talking about how the 49ers defense just looked flat, uh, how their perimeter defense really couldn't get much of anything. You saw a lot yeah, they did. Of, uh, of edge passes going on. You saw a lot of, of uh, outside runs, and you saw a lot of... Uh, flat passes to the to the running backs, particularly John Mayer Gibbs, who had a fantastic game as well. And I didn't realize this until the stat popped up on the screen that the Lions were the first team in NFL history that had two running backs, each with a thousand scrimmage yards and 10 touchdowns. So or 10 rushing touchdowns. So like th- they clearly knew what they wanted to be as a team and it worked. However, yesterday, 49ers corrected things at halftime and started off with, you know, a nice, easy field goal. And then that ended off uh, their scoring run in the uh, third quarter with the Christian McCaffrey touchdown after a long methodical touchdown drive. Yeah. But then uh, the, the, the thing that really sparked the whole thing that brought it within one score, of course, was that incredible 51 yard pass to Brandon Ayuk. Yeah. Uh, Purdy lobs it down and it looks like, God, I can't remember who was the, was it Kirby Joseph was the defender on that one? No, no, no. It was a, uh, Kindle Vendor, who was the the uh, secondary that was covering Ayuk in that play, and it looked like Kindle Vendor just had an easy interception on that. Yeah, but it bounced off of his face mask, yeah. and it bounces into the air. And as you're looking in slow motion, you can see Ayuk's head is just locked on the ball. He's not looking at anything else. He's looking at where that ball is, and he just masterfully brings that deflected pass into him. It looked like he may have scored a touchdown, but it was he was clearly down at the point that he had recovered it. Uh, and then he gets the touchdown pass from Brock Purdy not too far after that. Oh, my gosh. Like, when that play happened, you, y'all and I were still talking uh, in that, that chat. 
Uh, but there was another chat that I was talking to, and I just posted around that time. I'm already turning the game off. <laughs> because you because you knew, because you, you knew the momentum the was completely gone and if you yeah. give that to a shanahan offense there's nothing anybody can do yeah i i i, I totally agree i did eventually often turn in, the game off, back off. off. <laughs> <laughs> well i have a question for you uh, after this but yeah, yeah um, after we, we we always talk about how particularly in in these games momentum shifters i mean the lions were absolutely dominant in that first half um, and it, you do wonder if they had maybe tried to kind of kill the game and go for the touchdown rather than go for the. Uh, it, hindsight is always twenty twenty, but whether they would have been, whether it would have been a bridge too far for the 49ers to come back. But the way the Lions were playing, I couldn't see any way back. I mean, we talked about the 49ers defense, which is still supposed to be their, their strength. And the last two games, I mean, the Packers had their way with them a little bit. They were marching up and down the field. Um, and the Lions too in that first half just were having their way with the 49ers defense offensively the San Francisco 49ers were struggling they get to the second half and then as you say everything turned on that play you just knew from that moment okay now the comeback might start you could see the momentum shift um, and the 49ers just got it going. Christian McCaffrey got 90 yards. It almost seemed like he did nothing, but he ended up with 90 yards and two touchdowns. And they just started, you could see Detroit Lions, the, the, but their body language, it started to, you know, the fade, they, they didn't have any, anything almost kind of left in the tank, even though they still were trying to fight. I'm going to switch it now to the Lions because I said on this podcast before the playoffs started, Dan Campbell will get in the Lions' way. I, I said that I do think that he coaches often with his heart over his head. Mm-hmm. And, and no one can question, and he lives by the sword and dies by the sword. No one can question the turnaround in the culture that he's created in that, in that dressing room, in that franchise, in that team, in the city. Everyone's behind them. But I think sometimes he gets a bit too cute, or not even too cute, but he goes for it a lot on fourth down. He's not as bad as Brandon Staley, but that's how he coaches. And I said that I feel he may get in the way of his team. And there were two points. Ironically, the first one where a lot of people were saying, well, why didn't he try to go for the touchdown at the end instead of kick the field goal when they were in the red zone? I believe they were at the five or 10-yard line. Um, They kicked the field goal. And then the opposite way. So San San Francisco scores the touchdown to take the lead at 34, no, I believe it was... Um, 31-24? 31-24. No, 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 it was, no, it was a field 20, goal, 27-24. that's right. And the Lions finally get a drive together. The, the San Francisco had, had all the momentum. Lions couldn't do anything. Lions get the ball back. They finally get a bit of a drive going. And even in the context of the match... You could see that, that this was kind of against the grain. They didn't get three and out. The Lions go down the field into field goal range. I think they're about the 40-yard line. I think it was closer to the 30 or so oh, wow. because it was going to okay. be about a 50-yard oh, oh, touchdown. I think it was going to be yeah, about 40 to 50. Field goal. You're yeah, right. yeah. I think it was 48, they said. So you're right. They're at the 30-yard line. And what does Dan Campbell do? He goes for it on fourth and three. Now, having said that, you're right. I mean, a 48-yard field goal is is no. It's no gimme. It's no gimme. It's not. It's not a plus 50-yarder. But it's no gimme. But again, you play the analytics. You play the odds. I just feel again in the context of the game. I was thinking as a coach. You're thinking our backs against the wall. Let's see if we can get it to tie here. Let's see if we can tie it up right here and then reset, recalibrate get this going and, and Dan Campbell's like no we're going to go for the jugular even though in the context of the game right there they were getting absolutely bulldozed by San Francisco mm-hmm. so for me again with the Lions that their, their, their second half was quite anemic um, and I think that was a chance right there to maybe if they'd scored who knows what maybe momentum might switch back to, to Detroit but for me I think when they didn't miss that when they didn't take that field goal opportunity I think it was just it was done and dusted for me right there. Well, I think that that's the the key part there. 
is when you said the word momentum. And Dan Campbell has been incredibly successful with this team. Uh, somebody showed the the statistics. In his first year, he went 3-13-1. and one. Second yeah. season, they went 9-8, and eight, and they had that incredible stretch down the end to just... Yeah, they could have gone in. Self, they could have gotten oh. in had it not been for the Seahawks winning their game earlier. And then that's Seahawks the only sentence. Seahawks, right? That can be the only one. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then this season, they just had a, a miracle season for the ages, and they went on, won their first playoff game since early 90s. They won two playoff games in this same playoffs for the first time since 57. And it was just an incredible story for everybody. But the way that Dan Campbell did all this was he, he builds his game plan and he builds his strategies off of the emotion and the momentum that the team has. And that's part of the reason why the players like to play for him is they're playing not just for themselves, but they're playing for their team and they're doing everything they can and they know that the coach is playing alongside with them in that emotion and momentum. And sometimes it does well for you. Sometimes it doesn't. I actually had no problem with the field goal at the end of the first half because that puts you up by three scores. Now, that's a little bit playing with your head. But you could actually argue that the fact that they went for the safe play instead of the momentum play, that they like put their took their foot off the gas, and that could have been the start of the, them just kind of laying back. Um, for the rest of the game, it looks like they had they had that first drive for them in the second half that ended on downs, and then th this is how the rest of their half went: downs, fumble, punt, downs, and then they had the touchdown, and then they tried to get the onside kick. That fumble, it in their second drive that led to the gosh, did that lead to the Christian McCaffrey touchdown? Yeah, it did. Uh, after that fumble. They just, they were so close to the end zone. And I think that when your team is up by so much and then the whole gap is not only closed, but then you're down shortly after that, the momentum part of the game is hindered by the fact that you play an emotional game. Like we've all had that like feeling when we do like any type of competition, like you and me, we both have been to like auditions and you feel good or uh, we've done competitions before and you get far into it and then leading at some particular point, you hear that you may not be moving on despite the fact that you feel like everything's been going your way. And then you just feel this kind of like drain for a short moment, even though, you know, like, okay, it's on to the next one. It's gone to the next thing. Every, there are positives to take away, but that, that there's that short pit of moment that where you're just like, okay, now what's next? And I don't think they ever got out of that like drain. And it it wasn't until that second to last I I guess drive of the entire game before San Francisco nailed down where they actually put together a decent drive and got that touchdown, but by that point it was too little too late. Well, I, I think uh, for, for me it's interesting you talk about momentum, but they had the opportunity to get some momentum back by perhaps tying it with a 48-yard field goal. Now, I don't know what the analytics say about whether you go for it there in that particular situation or whether you try. It wasn't fourth and one. It wasn't even fourth and two. It was fourth and three. I would be very again, shocked if Dan Campbell was looking at analytics for that. No, of course he wasn't. And, and so, again, that's kind of my, my, my point, that Dan Campbell What always, would have Brandon always, Staley done? <laughs> Uh, no comment on that but I will I will give Dan Campbell his due his his thought process of on his fourth downs are much seem to be much more the, the decision seems to be much more kind of rational in a way than when Brandon Staley goes for it um, speaking of which apparently Brandon Staley may be may be in, in line for some defensive coordinator positions so I, I'm just I'm just saying it now. What are teams doing? Please, if anyone is listening out there, don't do it. Don't do it. There'll be a malaise over your team for the next few years. But anyway, yeah, I um I feel sorry for the Lions. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say they had it in the bag, but it was. I mean, we say in 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 football all the time, it's a tale of two halves, and similarly in this game, it was a tale of two halves. Um, first half, Detroit. Well, I could not believe how easy it was for Detroit running the ball and just for having their way with a really 
very, very good defense in the NFL. And then it just switched. And again, momentum, I think you, you always need a bit of luck. It's a cliche. You always need a bit of luck in in, in any sport. And sure. San Francisco certainly got it. I think it's interesting to me, last point, the last two games, San Francisco really had to dig deep. Um, I, I think those days, like earlier in the season, when they were just routing people um, and they were just like putting up 30, 40 points and defense was was limiting teams to... Um, and even after their bye, when they lost three games on the trot, they came out swinging and they were putting up numbers and the last two playoff games they've really had to they they could legitimately have lost against the Packers they could have definitely could have done yesterday and yet they're still in it and and to me I'm I'm like again is that the glass is half empty or is it half full is that a good sign that they're winning ugly and that they're getting it done despite playing their their best putting their best foot forward or or is it a bad sign a bit like the Eagles we talked about the Eagles you know that stretch where they were winning I think they won three or four games in a row where they really could have lost um, and they didn't play well. And is that a good thing? Is it, is it a, a good thing for the Chiefs that San Francisco haven't been dominating people the last two weeks, even though they've been at home? Well, I, I think one of the last things I'm going to say about the 49ers is the big criticism about this game, or the big criticism about the 49ers for this game was the fact that Brock Purdy doesn't do well when he's playing from behind. That was entirely the story about Brock Purdy. It's like, oh, he 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 hasn't shown he can do this. Oh, he's struggled with this in the yeah. past. And you could tell that the Lions knew that too because they wanted to go for the jugular early on and they put them in that huge 17-point hole uh, to start the game. Yeah. And we now saw that in two back-to-back games, in the playoffs, when the chips are at their like their, their, their highest stakes, like, yeah, Brock Purdy can come back. Uh, even though if, if it's not entirely on him, he's he's going to go out there and do what he needs to do. So yeah. I don't think that that's a bad thing for the 49ers. I think it's concerning no. the fact that no. their defense uh, couldn't get uh, hold off the opponents and they had to get going and they had to find the offense to be able to get to what they needed to do as the game went on. I think the defensive, especially the secondary, needs to step up their game in this final matchup that they got in a couple weeks. But I think that that's... The fact that they have been able to overcome these deficits in the last couple of weeks is just bad news for the Chiefs. True, true. I, I, I can see it going either way. I think a, another way to look at it will be also like, we'll, we'll, if you look at the games, San Francisco could legitimately have lost both games. Absolutely. Neither, neither was a dominating performance. And I think if you're the Chiefs, you look at that saying, well, look, if the Packers had maybe done this here, they could have won. If, if the Lions had done this, they should have won. The Lions probably should have put that game to bed before halftime and they didn't do it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's one of those, you can see both sides. Um, I mean, the last thing, I, I mean, well, I said the last thing earlier, but <laughs> who would have, who would have thought Brock Purdy as a good segue would have had basically the same amount of rushing yards as Lamar Jackson. <laughs> oh, I saw that tweet too. And I just, it, it made me feel for Lamar, but at the same time, like that was just an awesome, awesome show by, by the 49ers yesterday but yeah it was a great game it was a great game while we're talking about lamar jackson uh let's use that as a segue to talk about uh chiefs versus ravens and despite what i was saying last week and everything like this was a game where clearly when you're watching this the chiefs had were were much more dominating on a defensive spectrum than the ravens were they were really doing a great job of holding lamar jackson uh to himself for the majority of the game, with the exception of that one awesome play to Zay Flowers uh, in the in the first quarter. First half, yeah, first but say, but yeah. Uh, I don't know to you, like when you were watching this Chiefs team playing yesterday, what was your thoughts? It just th- this whole game was just so weird to me because it was a for me it was quite a boring, unexciting game. I'd agree. For me, it was quite a boring, unexciting game, and I never would have thought I would have said that in a game featuring two of the most electric, exciting quarterbacks we've seen in a generation in Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. Um, but all year with the Chiefs and the Ravens, uh, uh, you know, people talk about the Ravens offensively, but the Ravens had one of the best defences in the NFL. And with the Chiefs, 
this was the first year really in the Patrick Mahomes era where they're a defensive-led football team. Mm-hmm. The, the, the strength of that team, the calling card of that team is their defence, which Chris is, Jones. again, very, very... Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's taken over Baker Mayfield for you. You're pounding the table on Chris Jones. You have been for a while. For me, the, the, again, Steve Spagnolo. I don't know what, when the playoffs time. Like he's a very good defensive coordinator. When you need someone scheming, um, I was the number that he did and that Chiefs defense did on uh, Lamar Jackson and that offense. I mean, they scored ten points. <laughs> I mean, if you had said to them beforehand, the Chiefs are going to score seventeen points, would you take that? I reckon to a man, they would all say, "Yeah, absolutely." And they lost 17 yeah. Um And it just shows. But again, Lamar Jackson didn't have a good game. He was poor. Patrick Mahomes also had a poor game. He wasn't very good either. However, when the chips are down, when it counts, Patrick Mahomes made throw and play after play. Mm. And I'm just going to say Travis Kelsey. Oh, my. He was an absolute monster. I mean, some of the throws, the, the, some of his catches, the, the touchdown catch was amazing. But then that other catch where he, he kind of dived to catch it. And there was another catch as well where Patrick Mahomes, I think, lobbed it to him. Um, Travis Kelsey was awesome. Um, he was just absolutely brilliant. But again, to kill the game, that um, the, the throw to, um, was it Kadarius Tony um, at the end? Or was it... Uh, Valdez Scantling. Right, oh, it was Valdez Scantling. It was MVS. It was, MVS. It, it was yeah, Valdez Scantling to to you know kill the game again. An unbelievable throw. To me, the it showed again. We talked about this last week. They have become the new New England Patriots to a certain extent. Even though for me, they're much more vehemently more likable. Um, and you just count them out at your peril. You just don't bet against the Chiefs when they have that guy as well. Um, and when you can throw in uh, a defense that is is very strong, then they're very difficult to beat. They've now gone away from home twice um, and won. And I'm just stunned that I, I don't know really anyone, even even big time pundits or analysts. I don't. I, I I can't even recall one off the top of my head who was picking the Chiefs. And it's stu- it's stunning to me because they have Patrick Mahomes. And in, they were in the championship game again. And yeah, now they're in, I mean, Patrick Mahomes in his fourth Super Bowl in five years, which is pretty incredible to start a career. So um, yeah, it's a repeat of, of you know, their matchup uh, a few years ago. But that was my takeaway, really. It was, it, was a, it was one of those defensive struggles and it was just about who was going to make one more play than someone else. A hundred percent. And that one play by Valdez Scanling, that that was the one that broke the whole the the, the end of the game. Like it was the yeah. one that, it was yeah. the dagger, it was everything yeah. there. Um I, I've talked on and on, not really this year, but in years past, particularly last year, about Chris Jones. Like I, I was a big fan of the defensive tackles in the league last year, and I kept saying like Javon Hargrave, Chris Jones, Aaron Donald, like these mm. are the guys that make their teams great. Uh Chris Jones he didn't light up the stat sheet, but you saw him in pressure on almost every single play. And the big thing that he did was that one big pass deflection that he has as he was getting to, uh, at uh, Lamar Jackson. And this whole defense did a fantastic job of just playing contain on Lamar yeah. Jackson. They got they sacked him four times in this game. Like you don't sack Lamar Jackson that much. They hit him seven times. Yeah. Yeah. I think I made this comment in our chat that it looked like the Chiefs were not looking for as many home run hits. You could make the argument that really the only big home run hit that they went for was that the the dagger to Marquez Valdez Scantling. Um, yeah, there were those drives in the first half that looked like they took forever, and Mahomes just went for the open man, went for the flat, he went for the short. He 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 was like, you know what? This is a defense that is known for playmakers. You saw Kyle Hamilton running all over the field. He was everywhere yesterday. He was, he was making really good tackles behind the line of scrimmage. You saw him going from sideline to sideline, and it looked like uh, Mahomes may have been trying to avoid his area for the most part. Um, and because of that, he just was taking what was available to him. 
uh, which is why you had, oh gosh, uh, to start the game, you had an 86-yard 10-play drive, and then shortly after that, a 16-play 75-yard drive. That one took nine yes. minutes. So the first two drives were almost an entire quarter. And yes, it, it was just incredible that when you're going against a highly capable explosive offense like the Ravens have had this year, that they were just like, we're, we're going to play our game. We're going to do what we can do, and we are going to play with confidence, and we're going to play with poise. And really, when you look at how Lamar Jackson started off the game, I think I saw a stat that said that he started off like 5-12 and 12 to begin the game. Like, he just could not find a lot of open to begin the game, and they were doing a really good job of trying to contain him. So the Chiefs masterfully found the remedy for the Ravens, which was good linebacker, good edge play. Don't let Lamar do too much. Like, you're not going to stop him, but it's one of those bend-don't-break defense rules, and it worked. It did, uh, and that leads me to, you know, the questions that are always that are going to come out in the aftermath of, of this game about Lamar Jackson and question marks about his ability to get it done. I mean, everyone was saying, this is their year, this is their time. And again, they fall kind of flat on their face. Um and, you know, this idea that people are sort of comparing him to, to Patrick Mahomes. And for me, that those comparisons are quite far off. Um, as great as Lamar Jackson is. I would agree is, with that. I would agree with that. As great as Lamar Jackson is, it's sort of apples and oranges almost. I mean, Lamar Jackson is, is the presumptive M- MVP this year, rightly so. But, yes. you know, when you play against the guy that has the crown, you have to beat them and you're at home. And they couldn't do that. Um, and that's that's a big... You know, again, an- another question mark about, yes, they won, you know, they, they beat Houston, but Lamar Jackson now is what, two and four in playoff playoff matches or three and four? Uh, three and four. I think he's three and three four. Three and four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and this is his happened... first playoff series in like three and a half, four years, remember, because there True, were two seasons but... that he did not play, which not, that's not True, an excuse. But... That's not an yeah. excuse by any stretch. But this is, is the third time, or well, certainly twice with Lamar Jackson at the helm, where they've been the number one seed mm-hmm. and lost at home. It, it, it's weird. I, I think that there are so many pundits and analysts out there. I think they, they almost, they're picking Lamar Jackson almost out of, again, their heart over their head. Um, because, I mean, for me, I, I, I picked the Chiefs to go and I... To, to win the AFC. And so I had no reason to, to change, to switch from that. But I did think the Ravens were going to put up obviously a lot more points and put up a much more, a much better showing offensively than, than they did. Because defensively, they, again, defensively, they, they played well. They played very well. I mean, if you hold Patrick Mahomes and that offense to 17 points, I think any team in the league, or particularly at the number one seed, you'll say, yeah, we'll take it. And they couldn't, they couldn't get it done. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to think about what this team is going to be able to do going forward. Uh, remember that this past year was a brand new contact from Lamar Jackson. It's not like uh, other quarterbacks that got extensions and they're still young and they still got a couple of cheap contracts going forward. This year was the first year of Lamar Jackson's huge deal, uh, but he only had a $32 million cap number where I think it's going to start ballooning right. as years go on. So they're going to have to start making some difficult decisions with this roster on who they're going to retain. They're going to really have to rely on this draft. They probably can't retain. Gosh, Justin Tucker has got a $6 million cap hit for next year uh, as a kicker. Now, they can't cut him, really, because that'll trigger $12 million. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take a look at all these like top teams and like with these huge inflating contracts and like see what that means over the offseason. They're going to have to make a couple of they're going to have to make some decisions because they've only got like $5 million in cap space or so for next season. And they have free agents that are coming up. You, I'm not willing to take a look at this and say, Hey, Lamar Jackson can't get it done. Uh, yeah. Now he has to prove that he can get it done for us to say that he is able to get it done, but he's had bad games at the wrong times. And you know, that necessarily doesn't happen to winners. But yeah. how many? T- who are the teams that he's lost to in the playoffs each time? Like, clearly in this time, he went up against Andy Reid, who is arguably the best head coach 
in the NFL right now. I don't think at this point that that's really debatable. Uh, let me just pull yeah. this off. So he he lost to Derrick Henry during the year that Ryan Tannehill like came in and finally did his thing, and a lot of people are like, "Holy crap, Tennessee!" And then you had him losing to Josh Allen. Uh, I would say right at that time that people were looking at Josh Allen as like, "Wow, Josh Allen is now ascending," and yeah. he's been at the top ever since then. And now he's lost to to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting story that that tells. Like that actually kind of feels like. Lamar Jackson, is he the MVP? Yeah, he's the MVP. Um, is he the third or fourth or fifth best quarterback in the NFL as of what he's shown so far? Or sorry, not in the NFL, in the AFC. Because I would probably put Burrow ahead of him based off of the success well, that he had. I'd probably put yes. Allen and I'd put Mahomes over. Yeah. Fourth I or mean, fifth is, is probably I mean, right. Well, you could even, there's even argument. Would you Would you put CJ Stroud over? I wouldn't, but like. I probably yeah, wouldn't yet, especially the, since Lamar beat him. Body of work, true. A body of work, but. But, you know, look, dare I say, you know, Justin Herbert, he's kind of the forgotten man, given how rubbish the Chargers Herbert's have the been. reason why I said fourth but, or fifth. Right. So, I mean, I I just feel it, it's interesting to me with Lamar Jackson that, that people almost comparing him to Patrick Mahomes already. Um, I think that's just because is, of the MVPs. Yeah. And, and that's fair enough, but... You've got to get to a Super Bowl. You've got to win a Super Bowl. And to me, it's interesting. It's it's a bit like the the Patrick Mahomes Tom Brady debate because I'm definitely not there yet in terms of putting him, you know, on a par with Tom Brady or even ahead of him. And and the reason is because Tom Brady beat him a in a Super Bowl and also in an AFC Championship yep. game. So I'm like, of the of th- of the three losses Patrick Mahomes has had in his postseason career, two of them were against Tom Brady. So I'm like, the, the argument that, like, to me, at the moment, falls a bit flat on its face when you're, when you're talking about Patrick Mahomes because, you know, they did play at somewhat at, at their peak together and Tom Brady beat him twice. So, but we can, we can move on. So our final game of the season... Once again, if you listen to Biz at the beginning of the year, you would not you have need needed to watch, to watch exactly. any of this up until now. You could have skipped the exactly. season and got to this point. I just picked Biz's picks every single yeah. week. You would have been doing fine. Um, <laughs> 49ers versus Chiefs. We're not going to make our official picks yet. I, I think listeners to this podcast can probably figure out what each of us are going to pick. But at the same time, I, I'd like to have a little bit more journalistic integrity to that. And uh, we'll save those. And I'll actually take some time to look at this. Um, I do want to have one extra thought because last week I went on this tirade about like what's entertaining to watch, which worth my time to watch and things like that. And that was my e- question to you. Sure, sure. And, and I want to bring that Are up. you going to be watching? It's my question. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's. <laughs> I would argue that this is probably the worst of the four matchups we could have got for entertainment value. But at the same time, there are still stories here. You have Lamar Jackson having, uh, in his first six years, he's been to. Def- Four Super Bowls, um, yeah. and he's the first quarterback in history to be able to have that type of stretch. Now, I've made the argument that I don't necessarily think that that's a good thing where you're having one person be at the forefront for such a concentrated period of time for a lengthy period of time. But at the same time, I, I dwelled on this a bit, and I realized, you know what? I'm still there watching this. Now, Mahomes has not played well by his standards. So this the the, the concern that I have is, are the Chiefs so dominant that they can have home games and still win? To me, that's not a good thing for the league if they end up winning the game this way. I think that for this game to be a good representation of the league and their biggest viewership of the entire season, Mahomes has to play out. I do, despite my dislike for the 49ers, think that the 49ers probably would have been the best pick for a any team to get to the playoffs this year. Um, just based off of pure talent on the team. You get yeah, McCaffrey yeah. finally in the Super Bowl. Uh, you're getting this amazing defense. Chase Young is going to be at the forefront. For the second year in a row, Javon Hargrave, another D-tackle that I like, is playing against Pat Mahomes in the Super Bowl since he was on the Eagles last year. Right, yeah. yeah. You're finally seeing, for the past few seasons, like the 49ers have been successful and yet they've had injury concerns. They've had wrong things happen to them. Last year, they were so close. Brock Purdy had the uh, the ulnar nerve injury that, that kept him out of the game. And they finally got their relatively healthy 
Shout out to Talanoa Hufanga, who was last for the season. Probably my favorite name to say in the entire league. And probably my favorite young safety, but he got injured early. So <laughs> they, they're not unscathed. But this is the healthiest the 49ers have been. They're healthy. They're well-coached. They're well-managed as an organization. And they have some of the best accumulated talent. And if that wins, like you can't complain about that, especially with how exciting that team is. Now, do I get a punch in the gut personally every time I see them succeed? Yes. But taking myself out of it, that is an awesome team to have in the Super Bowl. Now, I don't know which of these teams I'm going to pick right now. Uh, I would like for the Chiefs to win in this perspective, even though I don't necessarily think that that outcome is the best for the league. But I think that this is going to be a much more interesting game than a lot of people are going to be giving it credit for in the next week or so. I'm just, I, I'm just interested to get your, you talk about what's best for the league. I mean, what, what do you mean by that? I don't, I don't really understand. The Super Bowl is the best advertising platform for this league. Now, right now the league is I, I, I the most successful. That, that's, that's, How is I mean, that it's not the, the case? It's the biggest event in it has Sports. the most viewership for the NFL. The most amount of eyes are going to be watching this game. And yeah, they don't, this is, a lot of people don't watch it for the game. A lot of people watch it, A, for the halftime show, B, for the ads. There are people that are not. So, well, anyway, continue. So what do you mean by the, the, so the good, you put up, good for the league? I, what I put for the good of the league is every single year, you get people to watch the Super Bowl that don't necessarily watch football. And based off of that, you are going to create no more viewership opportunities because people are like, oh, this is fun. Oh, awesome. I like Pat Mahomes. And there are going to be people that are looking at Mahomes watching this game. It's like, oh, yeah, it's kind of like Brady where he's just kind of there. Brady succeeding didn't create new, new NFL fans. Mahomes succeeding the first couple of seasons certainly did because of how exciting it was. But if you're seeing Brock Purdy ball out or you're seeing Chris McCaffrey perform at the highest stage and they're doing well, you're going to have more people see those players. And they're going to be excited about that. And those are going to be the stories that get carried on as the last thing they see for five and a half to five months leading into the next season, which means that this is the last time for the entire year that people get to see NFL gameplay where they normally weren't. You mentioned, oh, some people are watching for the halftime show. Some people are watching for the advertisements. That's so people can get their eyes on these games. So, so the people that... Go ahead. So for me, I would argue that what's good for the league whatever really that means is the two bet the two best teams going at it and you could argue the ravens were the best team this year and they probably were it's nice to have storylines as you say like the lions and the ravens i think would have attracted many more casual fans because you have you know the detroit lions became america's sweetheart they were that they were the underdogs that everyone was rooting for because they've just been devoid of any success. Not even that they they were laughing stocks for a, for a number of years. And obviously, it's the 49ers who have been again the strength of the NFC for the last few years. They've always been there or thereabouts. Last year, they got to the championship game again, lost to the Eagles, uh, got to the Super Bowl a few years ago. Um, so they the the 49ers and the Chiefs have been kind of the strengths of their respective conferences. But I I, I mean for for me it's I, I just think having Patrick Mahomes, who's the best player in the NFL, is a good advert for the for the game anyway, if he's playing in the Super Bowl. Is Djokovic being as dominant as he has been over the past has that been good for tennis? I'm glad we finally I, get to Djokovic. I don't sorry, watch yeah. finals that Djokovic is in unless I think he's got a legit shot to lose, honestly. So I would say that having the same person on top over and over and over and over again it causes fatigue like i've said over and over i think we we just fundamentally disagree on that well but yeah if, we do because i would i would argue that 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 generation with djokovic nadal and federer was in terms of eyes on the sport was by far the greatest era that there's uh, ever been i in. i personally i don't think djokovic is part of the same generation as federer and nadal because they had their careers before djokovic and the djokovic got to there in the tail end and then took over for that i, um, I disagree I, with that i disagree with that i you're right. Federer and Nadal are older than Djokovic, but in the in the kind of I would Djokovic was is younger than them. But even around two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, when Djokovic started to come through, Nadal and Federer were still at their peak. And and even even until say 
2012, 13, 14, Federer and Nadal were still playing on tour. They were still winning. They sure, were still winning. But majors. I would argue that, like, when the Djokovic was coming up, that was more of a patching of the torch type of era, where, like, Nadal and Federer, like, they were still competing. They were still here and there, but it was clearly Djokovic's turn at that point. I, I, I mean, yeah, we fundamentally disagree on this. I would say there's, there was no, during that era, there was no, everyone wanted. Federer and Nadal or Nadal versus Djokovic, everyone would tune in to a final if those two were playing or mm. like any of the two of that, that combination in any major or semi-final in any tournament. That's the game that people wanted to see. Mm. Mm. But that's I don't okay. Know we can agree else. to disagree. I, I think we're going to agree. Even though agree I won the argument. There. But... No, I, I don't think so. But like <laughs> one of us watches and plays a lot more tennis than the other. So uh, I, I can't disagree with that sentiment there. But that being the case, Regardless of how we feel about like what's best for the league and what's not there, the league is going to continue going on fine. Um, I, I thought that the story of the Lions getting to the Super Bowl would have been yeah. the most amazing oh, story. Absolutely. And I think the legitimacy for Lamar Jackson by adding him into the, NFC, the, the, the Super Bowl would have been monumental for him personally. And it would have been great for the D.C. area, but at the same time, like that's absolutely. Just, I think that that's like a very, very small microcosm of what could have happened. Lions clearly would have been the best story uh, Baltimore Ravens versus 49ers, I think, would have been the two best teams playing against each other. But you've got the best team in the NFC, and I don't think it's particularly close this season. The 49ers have been the best team in the NFC. And the the Chiefs, who have just been the team for the past five years, I think this has the potential to be a very, very big matchup. Now, I do fear going forward after this year that I'm just going to start rooting against the Chiefs because I want to see somebody else ascend. But that's for another time to talk about, and we're we're here for the Super Bowl now. Yeah. So uh, there were a couple of other stories that happened in the league this past week, and none bigger. Let's talk about it. The Jim Harbaugh hiring by the Los Angeles Chargers. Biz, where is your Chargers cap? (laughs) You're going to start wearing it now. I'm getting it washed and dry cleaned. Ready for the ready oh. for the season, neatly pressed. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna cut. I'm gonna come out with with a bit of a hot take. Oh, do but, it. Well, no, I'm not. So oh. the last few years, I've always gone with chalk. We, you know, we just talked about picking teams, and as, yeah, it was great. I picked the Chiefs and 49ers, but again, it, it didn't really take a genius. I mean, that wasn't going out on a limb and saying, "Oh, I'm, like you didn't you pick the Saints to go to the Super Bowl." No, I picked the Saints to lose in the NFC Conference Championship. Oh, to the that was a mid-season pick. Okay, okay. No, okay, no, no, so to the, the Eagles. Eagles. To the Eagles. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, like, but, so this year, the, 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 well, next season, I am, I, I, I've got, I was saying to myself, I've, I've, got, I've got to think outside the box. So I'm not, I'm not going to give anything away, but I think you know where I'm heading when we go into Pickhams for next year in oh terms of making our predictions. But... Getting back to the question or the discussion. Yeah, look, Jim Harbaugh was the ideal fit. Everyone was saying it, even from the get-go. That is the ideal fit for Jim Harbaugh. He's a Bay Bay Area person, coached at San Diego, coached at Stanford, coached at the 49ers, um, went to Michigan, obviously did a great job there. He, he, He pretty much has won everywhere he's gone. He has that one thing missing from his trophy cabinet, which is the Super Bowl. Um, all the pieces are there. Yes, their defense is aging a bit and they have some issues that they're not, they're, you know, they have to do some tinkering and obviously get some pieces, but they do, they have a lot of talent. We, we banging on about it for a long time. They have a lot of talent and they have one of the best quarterbacks in the league in Justin Herbert in every statistical category since he's been in the league. I think he's in the top five or top six in every major quarterback category. Um, yeah. So it's just about getting him to the next level. And Jim Harbaugh is known for developing quarterbacks. I mean, he took Alex Smith to the NFC Championship game. Um, and, well, no, he took, he took him to the... Oh, no, no, no. Uh, Colin oh, Kaepernick he took him to the, the conference championship game and then yes, Kaepernick, and then took Colin him to Kaepernick to the Super Bowl. So, yeah. you know... Um, Jim Harbaugh is a is a very good coach. He was the right fit for that Chargers organization at the right time. And I think he's going to bring he's going to be in a way the most famous person in the Chargers 
it's not going to be Justin Herbert because he's quite Jim Harbaugh's quite Hollywood. He's a kind of sexy, flashy name. Um, and I think, you know, everyone else in the AFC, it's going to be interesting because he's going to be playing his, his brother more often now <laughs> in, in the AFC. That's going to be uh, exciting. But yeah, it's going to be exciting. But The you know, yearly Harbaugh. It, 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 it makes that division much more competitive now. And, and as you said, it, he's not afraid of going against Patrick Mahomes twice. And I think yeah. he feels, he even said in his first interview, I don't know if you've read, but he, how he was almost a bit starstruck by Justin Herbert. And, I loved that. You know, I loved that. Yeah, I, and it's also, can Justin Herbert beat Patrick? He's done it. He's done it, I, I think, once or twice since in his in his career. Um, and I think Jim Harbaugh was saying, I'm not afraid of going against Patrick Mahomes. And I feel that with this team, I can beat Patrick Mahomes um, in the division, even though we're playing them twice a year. So it does make that division a very interesting division. You've still got Sean Payton there. Who knows what's going to happen with Russell Wilson? But then you've got Antonio Pierce, who did a pretty good job with the Raiders at the end of the year. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a very interesting um, division next year. It is, and they're going to have to make some uh, cap decisions this next year as well because they're already about twenty million over the cap. You're probably going to see them try to move off of Khalil Mack. You're probably going to see them try to move off of Mike Williams. They're probably going to have to see say goodbye to a couple and maybe restructure a couple of long term veterans. But um, at the same time, I don't think anybody's going to be shocked. If uh, Harbaugh comes in and looks around and says, okay, we have to clean up the pieces that are not Harbaugh guys, you're probably going to see the likes of Joey Bosa, Keenan Allen, Justin Herbert. Like those guys are going to just like stay in as leaders on that team. But some of the other like flashier names may have to go by the wayside at some point. Um, This is one of the most interesting teams going into the free agency and draft season. And I think that this is going to end up being, despite like, Wherever he's been, like Harbaugh's got a history of being prickly, but regardless of his prickliness, he's always the one of the most fascinating coaches that I think more people root for than not. Yes. So I'm yeah. I'm really excited for the Chargers. I am excited for you that you finally get to have a team <laughs> that is going to be your own team whose head coach you don't have to make jokes about every single week. This is like a proven winner. Uh, a, a college football champion. Like I, I'm seeing the look on your face at this point. Like there's you, a little bit of this glimmer of like, I finally get a team. I love how I've become a de facto Charger supporter all of a sudden. Um, You're you, just a just Herbert supporter. To, yes. Well, but just going, just going back to Brandon Staley, you say that, but as I say, I'm sure, I'm sure he'll be, he'll end up somewhere in the league. So my mm. weekly comments about his, his, his defense, if he does get a coordinator job, yeah, just watch out, watch out. I'll be Looks looking like for he's going to he interview did. for the Rams, the Packers, and the Dolphins. Those are three teams it looks like he's going to interview with. Well, he'd be a perfect fit in the Dolphins, I would Probably. say. Probably. Because they, yeah. just, they, just, they just always do, like, you know, you, you just never know you are with the Dolphins. So Yeah. Um, I, there, there, there are a couple of more head coaching hires. Nothing was as big as that. Uh, Raheem Morris gets to go back to Atlanta, where he was an interim head coach, and now he's going to be the head coach. David Canales... A uh, former Seahawks uh, quarterbacks coach, by the way, he was the uh, guy who was helping to develop Russell Wilson when he was here, went to the Bucks this past year to be an offensive coordinator, and now is going to be the head coach of the Panthers. Uh, there's been a lot of movement right now. The only two head coach vacancies are going to be the Seahawks and the, uh, oh gosh, who was the other one? The Titans? Washington. Washington. Washington, right, right, right. The Titans did get uh, Callahan. So Washington, those two. Um, and it looks like between those two, Ben Johnson is a candidate for both of them. Uh, Mike McDonald is a candidate for both of them. And I think Dan Quinn, the conversation about him coming to the Seahawks is, is ramping up again. So now that McDonald and Quinn are both free of their postseason responsibilities, uh, we are likely going to see if those guys are the guys being zeroed in on. Uh, we're going to see some head coaching announcements in the next few days or so. Um do you have any thoughts on the other head coaching hires or do you want to get talking about the guys who are not getting hired? Yeah, I think we could segue into obviously yeah. the two that are not getting hired. It looks like Vrabel and Belichick are going to be out. Looks like nobody's going to pick up on them. Atlanta was the only team that was giving Belichick any head coaching interviews. Love. And yeah. and uh Ed Vrabel, he was, you know, he was being talked about there's still a chance that Vrabel comes to the Seahawks, but I I I don't think he's even been interviewed by Washington or he's not been offered a second. So, oh gosh, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, for me, Bill Belichick is obviously the bigger one. 
Um, he, he's a coach that won six Super Bowls. However, again, we, we've chatted about it and a lot of people saying, I think that there's some things here. I think he's almost such a, a, a domineering figure in, in the sport that I think some young organisations that are maybe trying to rebuild, because apparently Atlanta, really, apparently Arthur Blank wanted to hire him. But I think then he was open to listening to advice. And I think some people are like, well, how is Bill Belichick going to work with a GM? Um, and also th- there is the, the kind of elephant in the room, which is Bill Belichick is not a young coach. So if you're trying to get someone to come in and be there for the long haul, build a culture, build, build something for five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years, Bill Belichick's not going to be around in 10 years. He may not even be around in three or four years. I, I'd say maybe two years at the most. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. But you, so it's almost, again, like you're hiring an interim for maybe a year or two because he's not going to coach for a long time. So there's that. But then, sure. the other, then the other question marks are the last four years. He was very poor. He didn't do anything. So then with, with kind of recency bias... You're looking at his body of work and saying, okay, well, what have you done for me lately? And he wasn't good. Um, and, and he wasn't good at drafting talent. Everyone knows about that. And so then it, then it points to, okay, you're hiring him on previous, on previous which, is, which is great. I am surprised there hasn't been more interest in him. But then on top of that, he is also the guy that pushed Tom Brady out, out of the door, effectively. and. He goes to Tampa, wins a Super Bowl in his first year with a new team. And you even have Bob Kraft, you know, who, who said in that, there's a really good article by Seth Wickersham um, on ESPN and said that apparently Robert Kraft said that, that man, as in Bill Belichick, told me he couldn't play anymore and he goes and wins another Super Bowl. So then the question comes in for the organizations like, is he good at evaluating talent? Is he good at evaluating a quarterback? So for me, I, I wonder if he will coach again. I wonder if he I, – I do, I do think that he will get an opportunity perhaps if someone gets sacked mid-season next year or down the line. But it's looking a bit ominous. Yeah. There are some thoughts that Belichick is going to go into uh, analysis uh, for this offseason, which honestly I think he would be perfect at. If you saw, uh, what was it, the NFL 100 special they did a couple of years ago where they were announcing or listing like who the best 100 players were of all time, and Bill Belichick was there uh, talking about the history of the game. Like, if you were to put Bill Belichick in as just an overall analyst along the guys at like the, the Fox Sports desk or the... Uh, the ESPN desk, I think that he would be a natural fit because he loves talking about the game. Like the only time you see him smile is when he's uh, talking about what happened before when he's being interviewed. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. So, he's not very, he's not very, he doesn't seem very engaging on TV. Though. Not, not when he's uh, in a press conference, but when you see him uh, talking about things that have happened in the past, or when you see him like talking yeah. about other players that are acting like, uh, it would be interesting seeing a smiling Belichick from day it, in, it day out. Be. Yeah, and yeah. he is much more engaging when you can get him to talk about stuff like yeah. that. the X's and O's, and he doesn't have to hide things. Like, yeah, I I think that that would actually be a a boon for all of us watching. Kind of like when Tony Romo t- went to the booth, and then you got yeah, to hear, see yeah. like his mind. He's very good. He's he's uh, yeah. I, I, I can't say that Belichick's going to be that same type of engagement, but at the same time, like I, I can only hope that we get the opportunity to see that. If that doesn't end up being the case, like, and this it, this will never happen. Part of me wants him to end up becoming like a uh, the NFL representative for the Hall of Fame, so that he could like, yeah. like be there talking about like yeah. history the whole time because he is the historian of the league a hundred percent. Yeah. It would be interesting to see him go into the like doing analyst um, analysis for the NFL. That yeah. could well be an option for a year or so. Yeah. yeah, I think we'll get a year of that at least. But yeah. um, I but do think you then. So sorry to, but then no, you no. add an extra year, and then he's going to be seventy-two or seventy-three, and then yeah. you're like, well, you know, again, it's another year down the line. He hasn't coached, and then he was so. It's almost like if he doesn't get a, a gig now, then. 
maybe it, maybe that's it. Interesting thing about this is I think that Bill Belichick may have like a couple of seasons or so where his window is open, but it's going to take just one impatient owner that has a team already built together. He's like, you know, we just need to win now. I need to make something big and splashy. Key point, a team already built into place, not a team that needs to find a quarterback like the Falcons do. Arthur Blank might have, may have looked at Belichick and said, oh, we can win with him, and then looked at who his yeah. quarterback is and says, oh, no, we can't win with him. So he's going yeah. to go with somebody who's historically like able to like develop and build people like Raheem Morris yeah. has done at, at or like put something together with what he's got. But uh, I think Bill Belichick needs something established to go to. And I think he's got like about a two to three year window where the league may still be kicking tires on him. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. And with that being the case, uh, I think that's what we got for today. Uh, Biz, do you have any shout outs? And do perchance we have the same shout out this week? I think so, man. Do I, I have a lot of shout outs? But however, I think I'm going to leave the one I'm thinking you're going to do. I think I'm going to leave that to you okay. because I, I I have a feeling where we're both going to go. So I'll leave that to you because I I, I think I know where you're going. Um, so I am going to shout out the England cricket team who had one of the most amazing, memorable wins last night in the first test in India it is very very difficult to win on the subcontinent very even the greatest teams have trouble winning in India Pakistan Sri Lanka yeah, didn't they beat Pakistan recently uh that that was well we did beat Pakistan in um that that was I think that was about a year ago yeah 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 um but so we beat India so we're playing five tests in India the first test started yesterday and we beat them. It was a memorable, memorable game. We beat them by, I believe, 36 runs. But in the context of the game, we had no business winning that game. India had, four, four, just to give a quick lesson, both teams bat twice. After, after both teams had batted the first time, India had a lead of 190 runs, which is a massive lead. And India, I, I think, had only ever lost once ever in their history by having that lead after the first innings. England go out and bat second. We score 436. Ollie Pope scored 196. It was one of the greatest ever innings um, by an Englishman overseas, probably you know up there in, in the top three or four innings ever by an Englishman. And um, so we ended up getting a lead of 215, I believe, or 229. And... India still probably were favourites because it was day four. They had two days to bat and we skittled them out. Um, one of our bowlers took seven wickets. Um, it was just an incredible, incredible result. Um, I, I, I was stunned that we, that we were even close. So to win, it was, it's already been called, called the heist of Hyderabad. So um, yeah, shout out to, to, England, to England for that. I'm also going to quick shout out Luka sure. Doncic for scoring 73. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Gosh. insane what is it with these the, every night it seems someone scoring 60 Devin Booker got 62 yeah, yeah he got night. 60 yeah he did too and uh he lost so we yeah, just had like right. a uh, we had the, the uh the guards version yeah. exactly we had the guards version of what happened with Embiid and Cat last week right so, right oh my gosh like it's been awesome for the NBA uh I, I think you're right with where I'm going with with my shout out how do you pronounce his name is it Yannick Sinner or Sinner that's it it's very okay no, it's Yannick Sinner very Italian Yannick Sinner <laughs> very Italian um 22 year old uh Italian went in and uh beat Djokovic in the semis which by that's itself like that would be like a, a career highlight he did like he that third it. set was very, very close, yeah. but the three sets that he won, like it was just domination. And yeah. then come back, comes back being two sets down to Medvedev and just six four, six four, six yeah. three. And yeah, it was exciting to watch too. Like this kid is fun to watch if you're watching him on, on, on the court. I yeah. hope that he can translate this into more success because I kind of want to watch more of him. Um oh, yeah. Yeah, but he's hats off to him. Yeah, he's been knocking on the door for a while. Mm -hmm. An unbelievable stat: he has beaten Djokovic three out of the last four times they played, which I don't mm -hmm. even think Carlos Alcaraz can say that. So, I don't think so. No, no. Um, it was great. I mean, what he did to Djokovic and then Medvedev. Medvedev, the first man in 
slam history to lose two finals after being two sets to love because oh, he did it to Nadal a couple of years did. ago. Um, so, I mean, I don't like Medvedev, so it's hard no, for me I don't to think say. That the, I don't think I there's a lot of sympathy for him, for him there. <laughs> but, man, amazing performance by Sinner. I just yeah. hope, because we, we've always, it's weird, we talked a little bit today about the new generation, and there's always someone that pops up, but even Alcaraz has not gone He's on. not there right now, and, no. And, not, and, and I think Alcaraz will be there or thereabouts, but you've got Sinner, there are all these, but still, still Djokovic is, is the best player on tour, and he's still yeah. the man to beat, but it was an unbelievable performance by Sinner. Uh, fair play to him. And with that, my coffee is empty. And because of that, the only thing I can say is, Cheers. Cheers. Till next time.